This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. It is a great blessing to be able to stand before y'all and talk for a little while on the Word of God. You see, for the Word of God is what guides us today. Uh, the Psalms tell us that the Word of God is a lamp unto our, on, unto our feet and a light upon our path. This morning, I'd like to talk to y'all about being an example. I was asked in an interview once, as you take this position, you'll need to be an example to your fellow employees. Could you tell of a time you had to lead by example? And Of course, I gave my answer. So a few days passed by, and as I was reading through the Bible, I come across this verse in 1 Timothy 4.12. The Bible says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Just as I was asked to be an example to my fellow employees, Timothy was told to be an example to his fellow Christians as well. But this is not just a command for Timothy, it's also a command for you and for me. Especially for those in a leadership role, the leaders in the church are example to us Christians. Mothers and fathers are examples to their children. Older siblings are examples to their younger siblings. How? In what Paul said, in word, in how we talk in our everyday walk of life, in conversation, in our manner of life, in charity, in how we love, in faith, how we profess our faith, in purity, our pureness in language, life, and thought. I left out in spirit because many commentators were saying that Paul was talking about being spiritual, spiritually mindful, and some were saying that about being passionate and being uh, just about passion. So I decided to omit that from this lesson today. You see, we are all an example, and it's our choice to determine if we're going to be a good example or a bad example. For even a bad example is a good example. It's just important to know what to do as it is to know what not to do. A good example of a bad example is the nation of Israel while they were in the wilderness. And Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians 10:11. Now these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Paul reminds them of the nation of Israel of when they were in the wilderness. He tells them about how they are our examples of how not to be. And Paul does this in the following verses. Paul reminds them, don't be idolaters as some of them were. Paul here is referring to Aaron and the golden calf. Don't commit fornication as some of them did. When Israel abode in Shittim, the people began to intermingle with the daughters of Moab, the, the, the native people there. And the anger of the Lord was kindled, so he commanded Moses to take the heads of the people, and Moses did just that. He told the judges of Israel to go out and to take all the men that had been with the God of, Mo uh, the, God of the Moabites, Baal. Also, don't tempt Christ, Paul says, as some of them did. You see, the journey of the people had been long and treacherous, and the Bible says that the souls of the people were much discouraged because of the way. So they began to speak out against God and against Moses. They were saying, why have you brought us out of the land of Egypt just to die in the wilderness? We had everything we needed back in Egypt. 
Here we have nothing. All we have is this airy bread as, the, as, as they describe it. And the people were tired of it. So God sent fiery serpents and much of Israel died. And the people came to the, to the realization that they had sinned and repented. This also leads to the next point Paul makes. He says, do not murmur or complain as some of them did. As I just told you, this is just one of the many times that people murmured. You see, they had a terrible problem about complaining. There's at least ten times that I can find where they complained. You see, they received manna, food they didn't have to work for, and they complained about it. They were freed from Egypt and slavery and complained that they had it better when they were in captivity. Honestly, if they could find something to complain about, I feel like they would have. So, does this sound like you? Are you a complainer? You might say, oh, brother so-and-so brought me some McDonald's today. It was nice of him, but he couldn't fork over the extra dollar for a good steak. I know it's a little far-fetched, but that's pretty much what Israel was saying and doing. Is this the example you're leading by? Sure, I may complain here and there, but who doesn't? At least I'm not an idolater or a fornicator or any of the other things that they were, really. So you've never held anything above God. You've never valued anything more than God. You might say, I'm not an, an adulterer. So you've never looked at a woman lustfully. Jesus said, if you even look at a woman with lustful intent, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. When people talk about you, what they say, oh, here comes Miguel, always complaining about something. The songs are too slow. The lesson's always way too long. The temperature in the building is either too hot or too cold. They can't ever get it right. Are these those sort of examples that I or we should be leading by? So I ask you, what is the sort of example we should be leading by? Paul gives Timothy a brief outline as we just read in our opening verse. Oh. Uh, and 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, To not, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example to the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in faith, and in purity. The first thing Paul tells him to do, to be an example, is to not let his young age be the reason people think less or little of him. There was a story of a young preacher who held a gospel meeting once, and his preaching was outstanding, had many of the elders really saying that this boy can really, he could really preach. So as the meeting came to a close, the young boy got into his car, and he had a very nice sports car. And many of the young boys and young men were astounded by how nice of a car he had. So as this young boy, this young preacher departed, he did a burnout, just trying to show off to the young boys and the young men. And the elders saw that, and they were saying, and they said, he's still a boy. Now, do you think this young man lost some of his respect that day? You see, just because we are young does not give us a reason or excuse to behave or to say foolish things. And Paul had to remind Timothy of this, to not let his youth be the reason people think less of you. Paul lets him, Paul tells him to also be an example to the believers in word. Um, sorry. Paul first tells Timothy to be an example how he communicates. Paul was not talking about how he talks when he preaches. For Paul, 
makes mention of that in the following verses where he tells them to give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. This is more about how P Timothy talks in his everyday walk of life, just holding a normal conversation. You see, the way we communicate amongst each other and with those out in the world says a lot about our Christian faith. The words we speak can either bring someone up or tear someone down, can either speak wisdom or foolishness, can speak truth or lies. And the book of Proverbs is littered with that. Here are just a couple of examples or verses that talk about the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Or Proverbs 15, 2, the Bible says, The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of the fools poureth out foolishness. Now, what we say and how we say it can be a stumbling block to those around us. You see, the tongue is a very powerful thing, a small thing, but powerful. And James says just that in James 3, 5. Even, the so, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. James really puts it into perspective. Think of the wildfires out west, how of how just a small spark from a campfire can set the whole coast ablaze. The same with our words. They could either bring life or they could set the whole world on fire. So what should our examples not be like? For one, lies. When you open your mouth, will people be, to believe, be able to believe what you are saying? Or will they just begin doubting every word that proceeds out of your mouth? I mean, we as man hate when people lie to us, but God really hates when we lie. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. Profanity, profane words shall never come out of our mouths. Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Or Ephesians 5, 3 through 4, the Bible says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. You see, Paul really wanted to make this clear in the book of Ephesians that he mentioned it back to back. I ask you, when you hear those four-letter words, used towards you, how do you feel? How does it make you feel? How does you using those four-letter words build anyone up? How has anyone benefited by using those words or from hearing those words? There was an article I read once uh, a few years back. About, it was titled, Using Curse Words is a Sign of Intelligence. It's a real, it's a real article. You can look it up. Um, but once I read it, you can, be, you can have an idea of what I started doing because I wanted to seem intelligent. I began using curse words. And there I was just using every four-letter word that you could think of. Now, by doing that, do you think I was building anyone up? Do you think I was hurting people by using those words? You see, profanity is always negative and hurtful. That's the third thing. That should not come out of our mouths. Hurtful words. Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew, in Matthew 5:22. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. But whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, 
shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. To me, that sounds pretty serious. You see, but instead our words should be positive and encouraging, as Colossians 4, 6 puts it. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to... That that you may know how ye ought to answer every man. Our speech should be gracious, seasoned with salt, and we should know how to answer any man, whether a question of faith or just an everyday topic. You should know how to answer that man. So brethren, remember, someone is always listening. Whether it's a little kid, a young woman, an elder, whosoever, Never forget, you are the example of the Christian. So what comes out of your mouth is the example you are leaving for the rest, and especially for the youth. And so is our manner of life. When Paul writes in conversation, what he means is our manner of life, our manner of conduct, our speech, our plans of living, our walk in and out of the church. You see, for many of us, there was a time where we walked without a care in the world, paying no mind to how we lived our lives. But once we were baptized, there was a lot of things we had to put off. In Colossians 3, 7, the Bible says, In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off these, all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him, that created him. And that's what we should strive to be like, like Christ, who is our ultimate example. First Peter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, Even as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or all manner of conduct. Because it is written, Be ye holy for I am holy. Here Peter is telling us to put off our former lust and to be holy just as Christ is holy. So if we desire to be called Christians, we ought to live our lives as Christians. I once heard a I once heard someone say, "Why would I want to become a Christian? They're no better than me, if if not worse at times." Honestly, that's one of the biggest things that deters many people from Christianity. It's other Christians. In the letter to Titus, in chapter 1, verse 6, we get this idea. Paul, talking about the Jews at the time, it says that they profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. Paul says that the Jews, they know God, but their conduct does not demonstrate that. They're disliked, they're disobedient, and every good thing they did or do is worthless. We can't say that we know God or that we love God and not do what He has clearly told us what to do. And Paul doesn't just tell us to stop doing something without soon after telling us what to do. In chapter 2, Paul addresses all the aged men, women, the young men and women. In Titus 2, verse 2, he says that the Bible says that the aged man be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that ye be in behavior as becometh holiness, 
not false accusers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that you may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husband, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. And doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Paul really lists it out for us of how we should live our lives or what we should strive to live like. My dad once told me about a man that went around telling everyone he's a Christian. And my dad told me that a man shouldn't have to go around telling, telling everyone he's a Christian. They should be able to look at his life and just be able to tell. And a good way to tell if you're living a good Christian life is by how you love. The next example, the next thing that Paul tells Timothy on how to be an example. So we should be an example to those around you by how you love, to all our brethren and to all in the world. In today's world, it's all about self-love. And if you do a quick Google search, you would find thousands of, of quotes on this very thing by famous people who say, learn to love yourself first. But I ask you, what does God say about love? When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He had this to say in Mark 12. The Bible says that thou shalt love, thy lo love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is, no one, there is none other commandment greater than these. In what part did Jesus say, learn, first learn to love yourself, then learn to love God, then if you have time and are able to, learn to love your neighbor. What kind of example would you be if this was you, a person who loved themselves? Honestly, not a very good one. Paul gave us a warning of these kinds of people in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. The Bible says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, hide-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Being selfish is simply not a good example to the believers. Paul even goes on to tell us to turn away from such people. So, how can we be an example by our love? In other words, how do we prove our love? I ask you this, how did God show His love for us? How did Jesus show His love for us? Well, let us look in the Bible. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He... What's the next word? He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, God loved us so much that He gave His only Son. In Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave 
himself for it. Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us. These are the two ultimate examples that we have of love. You see, they led by example, and we should lead by their example. Love is an action. I mean, it's not enough for me simply to tell my wife that I love her. Without, if I don't prove that I love her, how would she ever know that I truly love her? And, with, and when you're dating, you do the same thing. When you're young and in love, you do some of the darnest things. You spend all hours of the night when, talking on the phone when you should really be in bed, even though you have to be in at work in a couple of hours. You spend every free moment you have being with her, even though you should really be at home doing laundry or doing your homework. You spend all your money on her to take her on a nice date, and that by the end of the week, you barely have enough for gas money. But you give all of that because you love her and you want to show that. And this is how we ought to love each other. We should be willing to give. A quick application to see if you're loving as you should is reading through the love chapter in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. Read through the chapter in a couple of times and once go through it and replace, the, when you see the word love or charity, go ahead and replace it with your name. And once you read it with your name in place, does it describe you? If it doesn't, it may be time to work on some things. At the end of the chapter, Paul had this to say on love, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Paul is saying love over everything. But that's not to take away from hope and faith, because that's what Paul tells Timothy to lead by next, by faith. We often hear of the faith of Job and how he lost everything and continued in his faith. And it's a great example of faith. But today I like to make mention of the great faith of Paul. This is really brought to my attention uh, in, the, in the study that uh, Pat does, The Life of Paul. So if you want to talk about someone of great faith, let's look at the Apostle Paul. Think of the things Paul had to endure to spread the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives us a brief summary of what he had to endure. 2 Corinthians 11.25, the Bible says, Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I, sh I suffered shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep. Paul was saying that three times he was beaten with rods. I mean, just the idea of being beaten with rods once, it's enough to turn many people away from Christianity. He says that once he was stoned and left for dead. He suffered shipwreck three times. And one of those times, he suffered a day and, day and a night in the middle of the sea. Paul was always in danger, and he mentions this in the next verse. And journeys often, and perils of waters, and perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, and perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren. Paul was always in danger, and yet it did not stop him. One of my favorite accounts of Paul's faith is actually found in Acts 16 concerning Paul and Silas in prison. 
You see, while they were in Philippi, a possessed woman who made her masters uh, much money, the Bible says, would follow Paul and Silas, and she would cry out, These men are servants of the Most High God. These men are servants of the Most High God. And this went on for many days. And Paul, to, to, say, uh, to kind of say, he was pretty much tired of it and commanded the spirit depart from her. And it did. And once her masters find out, found out and saw they couldn't make any more money off of her, they falsely accused Paul and Silas, and they were beaten and thrown into the lower parts of prison. Acts 16.22, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely who having received such a charge thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. But what Paul and Silas did next is a great example of faith. In verse 25, and at the midnight, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. After being beaten by the multitude and thrown into prison, they sang praises and prayed. I ask you, how many here, being wrongly accused, beaten, and thrown into prison, would pray and most of all sing praises unto God? Many of us would cry out, let me out of here, I'm innocent, I did nothing wrong. Also, think on the prisoners that were in there with them, listening on to Paul and Silas, praying and singing praises unto God. So how we profess our faith is a great example to those around us. We must also live a morally pure life. Paul tells Timothy how he ought to do this later in, in the letter in 1 Timothy 5, 1-2. He says that, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as brothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. There should, be, there should give no rise to scandal considering you and the opposite sex. And Paul had to deal a lot with fornication. He had to write to the Corinthians on multiple occasions on this. In 1 first, in Corinthians 5.1, Paul, uh, the Bible says this, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornications as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Fornication was rampant in the church, and Paul scorns them in, by saying that not even the, the Gentiles, the common man, are committing this kind of sin. He specifically is talking about a man fooling around with his stepmother. So Paul had to teach them on how to be and remain pure. And how did Paul do this? By his example, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, the Bible says, Be ye followers of me, even as, I, even as I also am of Christ. What Paul was saying is, let me be your example, even as Christ is my example. And who is more pure than Christ? Jesus said, if you, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. This is how pure and holy Christ is. When Christ was in, the, in this world, he followed the old law to the T. He remained holy. He committed no sin. 
in order for us to live a holy and pure life, we need to turn away from sin. But that's not to say we can't fall into sin. 1 John 1 verse 8, the Bible says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have an advocate who's intermeeting for us. And once we choose to live and be pure, we will never fit into this world. And we get this idea from Romans 12 too. The Bible says, And be not conformed to this world, but be, but be ye transformed by, renewing, by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. They should be able to look at your life and tell that you're a Christian by our purity. So as Christians, our goal and our mission is to reach out and gain more souls for Christ's kingdom. But in order to do that, we need to show Christ and how we act and how we speak and how we live and how we love others. We are all great influencers to the people around us through our examples. We can make those lost souls look at us and think, he is really at peace. I want some of that. Or we might have someone look at us and think, He's a Christian? Why would I want any part of that? So do we show Christ's love to the people around us? Or do we get nervous and deny Christ as Peter did by what we say and by how we act? The Israelites are mentioned time after time as a wicked nation and are written, as we saw earlier, as an example for us, to learn from his mistakes so, so we do not commit the same ones that they did. We have a choice just as the Israelites did to fall into temptation and serve sin or to choose life and follow Christ. Jesus Christ will always be our greatest example of character and of love. And through our examples, we lead not just the lost souls to him, but we help encourage each other, all our brothers and sisters, to live, to strive to live righteously. And it's a great blessing to have the encouragement and love of our brothers and sisters in this congregation. Now I encourage you to look at the type of example you are setting. If there are any changes that need to be made, I encourage you to do so now. If you need prayers from the church, we're here for you. And we invite you to come forward or after services to express your needs. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.